Welcome, everybody, to The Open Perspective. My name is David, along with my co-host, John. How y'all doing tonight? And today we have uh, a special guest that I've definitely been looking forward to. We have the world-famous DJ Icy Ice. <laughs> what up, John? What up, David? Appreciate up, you man? guys having me on the show. That that was my uh, my pretend DJ voice right there. <laughs> well you definitely you definitely have that deep radio voice man man i wish i remember you know what's funny as a kid i remember listening to theo i knew you're gonna say mm -hmm. theo bro like i was like this this guy's voice that's how i want to sound when i'm growing up <laughs> <laughs> where is theo man that's the million dollar question man nobody knows oh has he like, really fallen off that far not in a bad way just not that he's fallen off. I think he just off the grid, man. Like he has no yeah. social media. Um, he doesn't post any. Like he's not out there. Like, and then um, as far as everybody I used to work with at on radio, like yeah, no one's kept up with him uh, from the beat or from K Day. So, yeah, I mean that's that's a question I get a lot. I get that question <laughs> a lot, and I, yeah, nobody knows. That's, that's funny because I the other day I was um, like on Instagram just looking for random people that were on radio when i was growing up mm -hmm. and i could not find him i did find pj butter yeah but i but i could not find him and i was like damn that's crazy yeah um, um pj still doing his thing over at k-day um yeah. i mean even i just saw a post today the baker boys are now on k-day as of today oh, so oh, that's real yeah ah. yeah damn, they're back on crazy. airwaves on 93.5 k-day Damn, that is crazy. Uh, ra radio in general, like, I don't know if it's different because we're in California. And I've kind of over the years tried to, like, figure that out. But to me, like, people who are on the air, they're like, it's a big deal to me. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like these names we're naming, everybody should know who they are. And then, like, for right now, Big Boy, right? Like, everybody knows mm -hmm. who Big Boy is. But then I think about it, it's like, well, if you're outside of Southern California... Are you really listening to the same people we are, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, Big Boy is is that type of personality that, you know, just like, you know, New York, you, you've you heard of of uh, Ed Lover or Angie Martinez. So Big Boy is that type of personality. Yeah, yeah, Baker that's... Boys are those type of personalities too, man. Yeah, Baker Legendary. Boys still at it. That's crazy. They're yeah, for that, and, and that's what I was getting at. Like Baker Boys for me, man, that was like, the original as far as djs at that level they were the original ones in my opinion you know yeah yeah so um the guys that influenced the baker boys man the k-day mix masters julio g tony g man those are those are those are also legendary guys that don't get their props or they don't they don't get recognized for what they've done for la radio or just radio across the nation period man so yeah, man. Much Julio, respect to all, all these legends. Julio G still on the radio, right? Not on the radio anymore. Um, but yeah, his his last stop was at uh, was at K Day. Got it. Got it. But then yeah, he was touring with uh, Cypress Hill for the last 12, 15 years or something like that. Wow, that's crazy. 
Well, before we get any further into that, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this, see, this happens Jumping ahead of it. <laughs> yeah, it's always happening. This stuff, but no, that's good, man. That's good. Um, so the big question for me, to be honest with you, um, is how did you even get into music in general? Well, music was always ingrained in me from an early age. I think it's in my blood because my grandfather was a musician and he played every instrument except for the piano. So, I mean, he was he was putting it down in the Philippines way before I ever came along. Then my dad was a saxophonist, played in jazz bands and all of that stuff. Came to America, he, he, he stopped uh, playing the, the saxophone. But, yeah, when I came around... I think at the age of five, man, I already I was already picking up a violin. And, oh wow! Uh, and that was just a weird thing in itself because my dad didn't put the violin in my hands. It was just I was just randomly picked in my elementary school, and I was a kindergartner at that time. And the uh, the orchestra person basically said he wanted to pick a student to to play in his orchestra. And out of all the kids, man, they picked me. <laughs> man, that's crazy. So, so at five years old, man, I, I learned how wow. to play the violin, and then I I even had a solo in in the recital with all the fifth, sixth graders. I was the only kindergartner. It's crazy, man. Wow. But yeah, music... things like that like amaze me. I don't know if people realize it. I guess because my daughters are five. Mm-hmm. Like I just think about them right now picking up a violin. Like I, it would blow my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah crazy <laughs> yeah that's cool man i mean my my kids are six seven they they're not even playing an instrument yet man so <laughs> yeah yeah that is <laughs> yeah you know they don't really always follow what we do right but yeah to answer your question man answer your question i got into music i think it was ingrained in me it's in my blood and um and then i, I started i started playing instruments early and then I, I played all through middle school, high school, played the saxophone, um, was in band, jazz band, all of that. And then I, I got introduced to DJing back in middle school. And uh, once I got introduced to DJing, that was it, man. You were hooked? I was hooked. I dropped everything else. <laughs> um, real quick, what, what area are you from? Like, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Carson. Carson, right. California. Carson. Sits in between Long Beach and Compton. Yep. I already knew that. I'm just asking for the people listening. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> just, giving, just giving context to the viewers that aren't from the L.A. area. <laughs> of course. And uh, was at, at that age, was DJing like a big thing in Carson? So when I was in middle school, yes, hip-hop in general was just a big thing in Carson. So I grew up in, in an area where just hip hop was very prevalent, man. So I, I'd be walking to school or, or even getting driven to school and you see a graffiti bomb, you know, bomb art on the walls all over from freeways to just uh, fences and different things around the city. And then um, it was common to, to have dudes freestyling like at lunchtime or recess or whatever. And then, um, and then, yeah, DJing. So, you know, back then, uh, 1580K Day was the, the 1580K Day AM. 
Which yeah, was I was going to say. <laughs> that sounds like an AM channel. That's AM. That was uh, the K-Day Mixmasters, Julio G, Tony G, all of those guys. Those are the, they were the ones that shaped radio for what it is today. So, yeah, big ups to Tony G, man. Like, uh, the 5 o'clock traffic jam, he was doing that every day. I would tune in, check it out, listen, and um, you'd hear the mix in. But, yeah, I mean, he, he was the one that formatted a mix show the way a mix show is now. Um, he was the one that uh, kind of did the first continuous mix here on the West Coast. And so, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a, it was a thing. But, yeah, back in that time, man, like um, DJing was just really big, man. Um, so it was, in general, hip-hop in, the, in your area at that time was like the, the thing. Yeah, hip hop in general. So I mean, like, just to even give you, give you this, man. Like, uh, guys like uh, Knights of the Turntables, they were DJing, and those guys put out a scratch record way back in the in that time. And then uh, someone like Joe Cooley, he DJed at my middle school dance, man. And um, he 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 was just cutting it up, killing it, man. Damn, that's crazy. So. Yeah, that that type of uh, that type of me being around that type of environment and that that kind of uh, influence and seeing those type of caliber of DJs DJing a, a little junior high middle school dance, man, it's is mind blowing, man. I know, man. I, I only think about what middle school and high school dances are like now. It's probably just some random guy who decided to buy some equipment to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, like. I mean, I just, I remember how much skill there was uh, for the DJs. Like, you know, like you said, just the middle school dance DJ. Mm -hmm. The skill level was still very high. And then as I grew up, I just started seeing the skill level drop. And those, that caliber of DJ all of a sudden was only doing certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Damn. Um, So... Did you just pick this up on your own? Was it like a group of friends of yours getting into hip hop, or did someone influence you as far as like, as far as actually putting you in front of a set of turntables? So yeah, I was I was influenced by all of all of those influences I was, I was kind of uh, speaking on, but yeah, I had some some uh, friends that I went to school with that they actually had DJ turntables and uh, a full setup. And so I'd, I'd go over to their their place just to touch these turntables. Uh, big ups to my man, uh, Oz, who was uh, one of my original Legend Entertainment brothers. Uh, he, had, he talked his grandfather into buying him, uh, you know, two turntables and a mixer. And so after school, I, I'd uh, go over to my man Oz's place and just mess around, man. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but he had the, the equipment. And then, you know, to get my own turntables myself i didn't i didn't have a grandfather yeah at that at that point my grandfather was already passed away so i didn't have a grandfather that i can say hey grandpa can you get me some turntables right uh so and my dad my parents you know immigrants from the philippines they you know they're they're just uh barely making it working check to check they didn't have the extra income to be able to buy me you know thousands of dollars of dj equipment so, you know, as a as a middle school kid, man, you had to get creative, man. So I did what I could do to earn some money to save up for one turntable. And <laughs> I then, remember that. 
And then uh, I got another neighbor that lived around the corner from me, Alex. He had done the same. And uh, Alex, he he was uh, he he was uh, going out working with his dad uh, on his lawn mowing business, and he would go and mow lawns just to save up enough money to save up for one turntable. So that was our two turntables. And then our other neighbor, um, Anthony he saved up for the mixer so we all was able to get the turntables that way and then we would just kind of rotate it from house to house it's funny because i almost crazy. feel like maybe dj cruz started just to be able to afford all the equipment because <laughs> i remember going through the same thing though like yeah you know one turntable man i remember even my first technique 1200 it was used you know what i mean i had to yeah go buy it. I, I remember buying it from this uh he was like the beginning of the the DJ, you know, the wedding DJ and all this stuff. So he had multiple gigs, you know, mm -hmm. and I just, I guess he was like record players. Like I don't even use these anymore. Like I have these CD players now, right? Yeah. So I remember I could only get one at a time. I was like, cool, I'll buy this first one. But yeah, it's like mm -hmm. that, especially yeah, if you want like good that, stuff. Man. Yeah. So it's exactly what you said, man. Like sometimes. Uh, you had to form a crew in order to be able to afford the equipment, man. Especially when you're so young and you're you're not, you don't have the ability to work yet or earn any kind of money. So, yeah, man, uh, that that's that's how it comes together. You just uh, you just crew up with uh, your closest homies and you just kind of work through it. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you you're starting to DJ with your buddies and everything. When do you become icy ice? I mean, I'm sure you don't go from splitting up the DJ setup to straight to the radio. Like, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I mean, we went through years of, you know, doing small gigs, you know, birthday parties, quinceañeras, debuts for Filipinos, um, even weddings, you nice. know, any kind of parties that we could do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I learned how to, it, it all was in, in baby steps basically man like because you have to learn how to walk before you can run man and, definitely um to That's be able the part to these, these kids don't realize right they're just jumping straight to it yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't fault them for that because that's that's what it is now. And you've got YouTube, and you've got you can just download a whole person's library. So it's different now, man. But back then, I mean, I'd save up a whole weeks of lunch money to go to the record store and buy one or two records, man. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, and, definitely. And you have your other homies doing the same, so that you can have a crate of records. You know. Yeah. And, and so it's all baby steps, man. You you love and cherish that one record that you buy for the week. And you play the thing over and over. You you know the record inside out. You're playing the credit or you're looking at the credits. You know who produced it. You know who engineered it. You, you, you're looking at all the little aspects of that record. Yeah. And nowadays, everything is so digital. You don't know who made what, who did this, unless they're really a big producer. And then you know that, but... Yeah, the average person isn't really checking for that. Or even the average DJ isn't even checking for who produced what or any of that stuff anymore. Yeah, man. You, but, you yeah. were real attached to it before, right? Oh, yeah, man. So all of the records that I started with, I still have to this day. And even when I, I do dig in and, and uh, pull out some of those original records, it, it brings back those feelings, man. I it bet. Brings back, 
it brings back that nostalgia and it takes you back to that time of when you could barely afford that one record or you know you went through a lot to just get one record <laughs> yeah i always say uh music is definitely the the real time machine it the, is the second you hear that track you it, it puts you into like a time warp and you you can feel and see everything that was happening right yeah man because it, it, it triggers those memories man it 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 takes you back into that time warp exactly like what you're saying so yeah, man, I think that's one of the best explanations I've heard about music. It's a, it's it's the time warp. Yeah. Um, do you remember your very first record? My very first record <laughs> was uh, Shaka Khan. I feel nice. for you. Nice. And then the second record I bought along with that was Al Nafish. It's time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you see, that's the to me that right there. I knew you would know the answer, but I, like I was like, let me see if it's just me, because I feel like you can always remember your first record. Yeah, you definitely yeah. remember. That's cool. And, man. Uh, back then, we didn't have scratch records, so its time was the scratch record, right? Just, sit there for hours and hours and hours just trying to get that its it 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 you know? Yeah, it's so funny, like. I remember that too. The the record that you're like, oh yeah, I could always get the sound I needed off of this word or this sound in the beat or whatever it was. You know, it wasn't always a scratch record. Yeah, that's cool, man. But yeah, the the tools that that uh, the 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 DJs have nowadays is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, and it's good. Like if you if you have the skill, even if you don't go that far back, but you have built your skill, it still shows even with today's technology. You know. Yeah, I think that's what we always try and instill, especially in someone that that seeks to learn. So, you know, the students at the school or or even just people that randomly ask me questions. Uh, yeah, it, it's that's the one thing we stress is it doesn't matter what you're on or what you do or whatever. It's it's the type of uh, skill you put into it and the type of practice you get to attain that skill. Right. So, yeah, it's all about skills. Yeah, I, I guess sometimes, especially when I talk about DJing, I think it comes off as if, like, I don't like the new style of DJing, or maybe I don't care for the newer DJs. I that's not my concern. I guess it's more so the, like, like you said, you know, the effort you put into it and and what how much you really care about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guy that's just like, hey, I'm gonna play these songs and and. And just charge this person all these money. I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a different type of DJ. The people who are really into the music, they're trying to build a skill and play a certain way. To me, that's still a craft, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I know this is kind of jumping ahead, but man, this pandemic right here is uh, kind of. It's kind of um, weeding the, 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 the guys that are just doing it to get paid versus mm -hmm. the ones that truly, truly love it and live and breathe it. <laughs> that is true. Those ones that are, the ones that are, are out for the money, where are they, man? You don't see them. Right. The ones that are truly loving it, they are live streaming, they're making mixtapes, they're doing things to keep, keep the craft, keep up, you know, keep sharp, and they're, they're out there. They're constantly doing stuff. Right versus the ones that are the ones that that are out there for the money, uh, 
they're not out there at all because there's no events. Yeah, yeah, I hear that for sure, man. That's good. That's a good thing. I didn't really think about that. I did think about the pandemic and the streaming, and that's definitely something I want to get into a little later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good point, man. I'm glad to hear that actually. Um, yeah, quick. Uh huh. Um, growing up in Southern California, I grew up in San Diego, and in in that time frame that you mentioned about like DJs and and uh, all that, you mentioned Legend Entertainment. Yeah. And I, I remember like, you know, growing up and every time Legend Entertainment was going to throw a party, whether it was in Orange County, I think even you guys did some down in, in San Diego at the time, too. Like mm-hmm. we had to make sure that we were going to that. And oh, it, man. It's, it's been a while since I've heard that, like that name. And it's just like I remember just being because this is like, you know, like mm, I think late 80s, early 90s. I moved to L.A. in 96. So like it was around mm-hmm. that time time frame when we started to hear all that but man it's it's crazy to hear that like the stories that you that story that you had shared in regards to how you came up piece by piece in regards to how your dj equipment came through was pretty much like the story that we hear a lot of people go through with their dj equipment one turntable at a time they don't even maybe they don't get a 1200 at first maybe they get a vestax whatever that that was called back then but Mm -hmm. it's it's I hope that people who like understand that it's not really an overnight thing will get to hear the fact that like we started like with everybody else, one piece at a time, one brick at a time and laid the foundation first and just went up every single layer as we could. So that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, uh, if you, if you have money like that and you can buy the whole thing, then, you know, more power to you. But yeah, I mean, there, there's the, the people like myself that, that struggled and, and had to uh, fight and claw to get every little piece to, to build up. But yeah, man, like uh, as I was saying with the whole buildup of, you know, your, your question was uh, how did I or when did I become ICIC? It was years and years and years of that. <laughs> and yeah. then years and years of doing average gigs to build up certain skills of how to do a gig before I can even do a club. And then once right. I was doing clubs, it was a lot of little bars and little little um, little spots and you're playing for 15 people in the spot or you you know, so years and years of that too until we started to get get uh, wise and we said let's throw our own party. And that's where the whole legend entertainment came about. I mean, before we were even legend, we were a group called Spectrum. So my man Oz that I mentioned earlier, me and him, we were originally part of Spectrum. And Spectrum, way back then, was the legend of that time. And we learned under that key promoter named um, Jimmy Corpus. And he ran Spectrum all through the 80s into the the early 90s. And uh, we basically learned under him. And nice. then once once we were of all pretty much high school graduating from high school, that's where we formed Legend. We broke yeah. away from Spectrum and then and then um, started Legend. Who is and the then, the original? Like pretty much when you started Legend, who all were you with? The main five or six of us was pretty much my man Oz, uh, my man. Alex, the one that I also I was telling you about that saved the other turntable. Um, 
and then yeah anthony was the other one and then yeah my man lloyd and don it's like five six of us and we we formed legend it was right there in carson local group and again just did all the high school dances junior high dances whatever dances we could do then we're we're graduating into college dances and Mm -hmm. (laughs) college parties frat parties all that type of stuff and um but yeah once once we got to a certain age, then we wised up and we said, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's throw our own party. And we kind of pooled our money together. Then we got, to, you know, like we kind of teamed up with other DJ crews that were in the area. We said, okay, let's, let's pool all our money together. Let's rent a hall. Let's charge 10 bucks. And then, you know, we'll put out these paper flyers and let's, let's see what we can do. And so... We got a, a little hall over in Carson that's not even in there anymore. It's called Samarica Hall. It was like a Samoan <laughs> hall <laughs> owned by Samoans. And basically, they had a big stage, big open spot, and it, it held up to like 1,500, 2,000 people. It, it was an old supermarket. Damn. It was an old supermarket emptied out pretty much. That's what it was. And Damn. so, yeah, Samarica Hall, we rented it. And it was just big brick building, man. And we just ended up calling our first dance the Brick House. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we pulled with uh, you know a unique technique and and some of the the local South Bay groups. And yeah, that was it. We 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 threw our first dance and packed that thing, man. We packed man. it. You're you're bringing back so many memories right there of just how things used to go down. Do they even do stuff like that anymore? I mean, obviously not now with COVID, but pre-COVID, like, was there still (laughs) like, we're just going to rent a big hall and we're going to have like some great DJs and, and that's it. Or is it literally just more of that actual club restaurant closed down type of vibe? Yeah. See, so I, I, I'm sure it's gotta be going on out there. Uh, I don't hear about it here in LA. All I hear about are the clubs and all of that type of stuff. But I'm sure there's got to be some young, young DJs that we don't know about that are pooling together and doing this type of stuff. But right. yeah, man. I mean, we we were doing it back then, and I'm sure it's got to be still going on today. Yeah. But maybe so, not so much a hall. They're they're probably more sophisticated and yeah. getting into bars <laughs> and nightclubs versus I've been to renting some out a Samoan hall. Yeah, <laughs> or a warehouse. Yeah, yeah I've been to some interesting warehouse type places, you know, and it's like, yeah. hey, whatever, you're having a good time. Yeah, so it, it, you know, '90s roll around, and yeah, like warehouse parties were were a thing, and you know, garage, you know, garage parties, all everything, man. It yeah. doesn't matter, you know. Uh, they were they were just doing parties wherever you could do a party. So would you say that the uh, the legend days is was like your first? Um, I guess I guess you could say when you first started to become known. Legend days was yeah, that I think that was the first time I was actually getting some notoriety and and um yeah, I guess you could say getting known. But again, it's more on the underground level because I, I don't think I was getting mass exposure. It was just known within the little Filipino Asian circles. Right. Um and then For- yeah. For those of you listening at home, um, I'm basically trying to get a very humble person to talk about their success. 
And if you guys haven't already figured out on the open perspective, most of the people that we have on are humble people. We, we, you know, we invite people on because they have good stories and, and they have success, but at the same time are humbled and they're not uh, sitting here tooting their own horn, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to get ICIs to, to really <laughs> tell you about him, even though it's not really a thing. You know? I, I'm trying hard to, to open up and, and no, share yeah. this with you. No, you're good. But... We're going great. But uh, so I said that first because what I'm about to say, and I'm sure no one's going to argue with me, like you said, in the Filipino Asian community. But man, you are a legend in the Filipino Asian community. Yes. <laughs> I would agree with that. You you probably uh don't know this already just based off talking, but John's actually Filipino. So uh, if, he, if he's I figured saying, by the name. Yeah. <laughs> if he, oh yeah, you can see his last name. Yeah. If you can see, I mean, if he can say that, then I already got validation right there. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I appreciate it. I'll I'll pay you your 10 bucks later, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can now get into the party with that 10 bucks. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, but yeah, so, you know, like he said, I mean, people knew about the legend parties, right? So I guess for me, I I remember what it, before I actually knew who you were, like personally, I remember what it was like to hear about DJ ICIs. As a kid that wanted to be a DJ, like you pay attention to who the DJs are. So I'm kind of trying to put it together for myself as far as the timeline. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I remember legend parties. I remember this. I remember that. But I don't really know how it all unfolded. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it is is baby steps again. Like like I was explaining a little while ago. Um, yeah, we went from that one dance, and we did uh, uh, several of those type of dances. Then we started doing these hall parties in different parts of the city. So not just here in Carson, but then we're expanding out to Long Beach. Then next thing you know, we're doing something in cerritos or orange county and then we make our way into downtown la and and then that now now we're now we're getting some of that valley you know that la downtown la valley crowd and then as you're expanding into oc we're starting to get more of that you know uh oc and then whatever so it was just all baby steps and then we started getting more hip to it and of course we're getting older too so we're starting to get into that 20 21 year old age and we're starting to get into clubs so we start throwing little bar parties and little clubs little dive bars whatever we get our hands on but again it's it was just all a progression but slow and steady it wasn't just one big instant burst or we threw one party and we arrived it it was all over time right yeah definitely like john said you were putting brick by brick right yeah that's cool. So what um what would you say was like your did you have like a, a residency somewhere or a place that you guys always did these parties at where you felt like, all right, this night or this spot is where like we're doing it. This is definitely like what we've worked for. Okay, so kind of fast forwarding a little bit, like we were doing these big party, or we were doing these hall parties, and then they were getting bigger. We we're doing them in multiple places, but then we finally landed a club, a big mm-hmm. club, 
And it's still there to this day, but it, it's not a functional club anymore. But the building is still there. It's called the Variety Arts Center. It's right there in downtown L.A., right across the street from L.A. Live. L.A. Yeah, L.A. Live oh, wow. and Staples Center. Yeah. But yeah, Variety Arts Center sits right there on Figueroa. And um, it's, it's, it's surrounded now. It used to be all parking lot around it, but it's surrounded right. by all brand new tall buildings that just dwarf this thing. Right. But so in this time, Variety Arts Center was the spot. Like the biggest, you know, John Pena doing the biggest Latino parties. He would do uh, Friday nights over there. Then you had Icon Entertainment doing all the big African American black parties. They were on Saturday nights over there. Then you had like, you know, the white the white promoters doing their thing. So the us little Asian kids were <laughs> We approached them and we're like, we'd like to do a night here. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, they, they talk about what kind of crowd you have. We're like, oh, we got Asian Filipino. They're like, uh, we've never really had that type of crowd here, but okay, can you guys even pull? We're like, we, we, we're pretty confident we could pull. So what do they do, man? They give us a crappy night. They give us the, sh the shittiest <laughs> night. Tuesday? They give us a Tuesday or <laughs> Wednesday. So we got to show and prove, you know, before they give us a, a decent night. Right. So we right. throw one off, and yeah, for a place that holds 1,500 people, not bad. You know, we pulled 500 people, 600 people, whatever, on a crappy night. Right. And then so the, the owner or the manager at that time, he, he just, uh, he, he had a little more confidence. He said, okay, you guys could do this on the crappy night, then I'm pretty sure you guys can pull on a better night. So what does he do? He gives us a Thursday night. I was just going to say, <laughs> you got that Thursday we got the Thursday, which was a college night, you know, that, that, yeah, that was yeah. a yeah. college party night. Yes, yes it was. And it's and a good so, area to, to, honestly, Thursday night, I mean, you got SC right there, SC UCLA is not that there. far. Yep. So, yeah, it's definitely a college night. And that's exactly what we did, man. We, uh, we put together our first college night. It was called The Source, but it was a hip-hop, a hip-hop club. Nice. And, um, man, uh, from the time we started that, man, that was it, man. I, we were always getting like 1,000, 1,500 people weekly on a Thursday night. And it it, it just kind of blew up from there. The source. Damn. The That's source. Yeah. I remember the source. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the source was pretty much the home for legend. And then when the Beach Junkies started up, like, that was one of the regular spots the Beach Junkies would always DJ at regularly as well. So Source was the beginning, uh, the roots there. And uh, Vice, yeah. I, was just, I was just on with Vice uh, a, a month ago, and he kind of uh, asked me about this, but he was just telling me a story about how he would go to the Source you know, with his fake ID. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Vice is a little younger. Yeah, yeah. So he'd go there with his fake ID, coming to check it out, and he was just in awe, man. And he, he was just hoping that one day he could DJ a club like that. And lo and behold, man, he's like the biggest club DJ in Vegas and across the world, man. I so know, it's, right? it's crazy. But yeah, he looked up to our legend parties back then. That's what I'm saying, man. You got the... Yep. It, you know that term, like your favorite DJ's favorite DJ? Yeah. <laughs> I always love that. But if you really pay attention to most people's favorite, most of your favorite DJs, you pay attention to who their favorite DJs are. And yeah. it's like, you know, it, they're not. 
I would think most DJs aren't holding back on who they looked up to. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no doubt. You mentioned something I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, the Beat Junkies. Uh-huh. Can you give us um, a little bit of backstory on the Beat Junkies and your involvement with the Beat Junkies? All right. So Beat Junkies, originally, we were all part of different crews, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but around that time, I think, you know, like housing was big. So dance, you know, people were getting in dance crews and things like that. The car scene was really huge, you know, so people were buying cars, fixing it up, lowering them, putting those exhaust, all that stuff. And so we were seeing a lot of our own, own crews kind of falling into these other type of uh, hobbies and not right. so much into DJing anymore or as much as uh, when we all were gung-ho and together with it. So, um, I don't know, we were all just kind of hanging, and and um, Curse was the guy that we all, I mean, like, Curse, Mr. Ray Belling, Curse was the guy we all looked up to. He was the Qbert of that early 90s era for Los Angeles. Like, he killed it with his cuts, his scratches, his doubles, a lot of that, man. Like, we all looked up to Curse. And when Curse met up with J-Rock, they had this idea of forming a whole new crew. And uh, that's where they came up with the concept of the Beat Junkies. And J-Rock worked at a comic book store at the time, and he said, let's, uh, let's make our emblem the Green Lantern Ring. <laughs> so if you look at the Beat Junkie logo, it's a Green Lantern ring turned sideways. Interesting. That's what huh. that's what the Green Lantern thing is, and that's where we were always wearing. If you look back in our early '90s photos when we first started the crew, a lot of us were always wearing those Green Lantern rings around a necklace around yeah. our necks. And um, yeah, man, that that was that was our thing. In fact. Here, I'll put you back on my camera. <laughs> Let me see. Oh. Anyways, it's not... Oh, there it is. Okay. So here, I'll put my camera back on. There Boom. we go. Oh, wow. That's, Damn, you still got that, it right there. That's the B Junkie ring, but the logo is turned that way. That's yes. what it is right there. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's it. That's cool, man. It's crazy. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean... But, I... Yeah, so yeah, B Junkie's... Uh, came about because um, we just kind of noticed all our crews going in different directions and then all of us that were really turntable purists you know we love the art we love the you know cut scratch doubles all of that stuff we wanted to form a crew that was just all of us that were on that same wavelength and that's where the beat junkies came about and originally it started with curse and j-rock and then it spawned to you know repmatic and uh dj what and then Rhett pulled myself in my sister in and then uh tommy gunn came in uh, and then like little by little we formed crew like uh mellow came in after as well and then babu came in from battling Rhett matic <laughs> john's listening to all these names going damn Damn, I know, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, we like, all we all at the crew went up to Santa Barbara to support Rhett at uh, Santa Barbara, <laughs> UC Santa Barbara DJ battle. And then uh, Rhett got beat by a kid named Babu. And we're like, who is this kid? 
Uh-huh. And uh, and so we we uh, automatically clicked with Fabs and and uh, he became a beach junkie. And then same thing happened with Shortcut and D Styles. Rhett Maddock was battling them in the LA regional DMC. He got beat by a kid named Shortcut. And then so we we uh, we all clicked. And then those guys automatically like right off the bat meeting them um they came down to curse's garage and started teaching us how to do these one click flares two click flares and you know crab scratch and different stuff we've never even heard of before it was all still (laughs) new right so it was just brand new they were just coming up with all these scratches in the bay area at that time and they brought it down and and taught it to all of us here as the junkies and so we brought them into the crew, and we all became one big crew. But I, I will say this: uh, you know, Shortcut and D Styles were beat junkies before they even became invisible, invisible scratch pickles. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I still go to whenever Shortcut and even Bert Kubert goes out and does anything out here. I mean, before the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. But I would go yeah. to any of their um, anytime they had an event or anytime they were performing at any kind of installation. Uh, my wife and I would would check them out. Oh, that's dope. Still have that's to. A, you have to, man. I, yeah. You gotta, you just gotta appreciate what, what they're doing, man. It's it's amazing. That's crazy, man. I remember watching, and this is you know before YouTube. It's like old VHS tapes of <laughs> of all the, you know, like everybody doing sets and and different battles. You could tell it was like recorded off of, I don't know, off TV or off of another VHS, but you know, you get those lines in, going through it where you're just like, whatever, I can still hear what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it was just crazy, man. And and that and that's even for me that I was never I wouldn't say I was ever like a turntablist, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Where I was trying to battle. But it was just still as a, any kind of a DJ watching these guys do this stuff, it was like crazy. You know? Yeah. You start paying attention to battles and it's just like, man, uh, I, I tell people a lot, like when I was in middle school in San Diego, they used to do like these hip hop things. And and one of the things that they had there was DJ battles. And so mm-hmm. I remember just watching it and just like, man, it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I didn't know you grew up in you grew up in San Diego. I, I lived in um, I lived in Encinitas for a few years. It's okay. not San Diego. <laughs> San Diego County, bro, not not the city of San Diego. I always have to remind him that I, you know, I, I meant San Diego County. I don't live in L.A. either. You know what I'm no, saying? No, I know, I know, I know. But you say Long Beach, right? Yeah, yeah. But San Diego. People, it depends where you're from. You know San yeah, Diego, no. so I would say Encinitas to you. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. people listening that are in other states, you know. Yeah. San Diego uh, is a suburb of L.A. Come on, I'm gonna say. It. Hey, you're from there. You can. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, I wonder if you would remember just because I feel like you've been around and, and been involved with things. This event that I'm talking about was at. Uh, what's that? What's the big park by the zoo down there? Uh, Balboa Park. Balboa, Balboa right? Park. There was like this building at Balboa Park or something like that. And they would like open it up and then. World Beat Center. Is that what it is? And so then all the walls, they'd like put up like false walls and all the walls were white. And so then they would let all the graffiti artists come in and like do all the tagging on the walls ahead of time. 
And then like, you know, you had to stand in this for an average person like me, you had to stand in this line to get in. But mm-hmm. it was like open mic, open turntables. It was pretty sick. Man. <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I I don't even know how I got in because I was a kid, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm, that part of my memory is very foggy. Like I I don't know why I was able to go, but I just remember going and it was it was great. Uh, I'm sure, you know, it, it had to be an all age event, you know. Yeah. So just like our our brick house event, that was all age. Oh, it was. Or yeah, that was an all age event. Then yeah, we were we were young at that time, so yeah, so yeah, I mean, age, like I couldn't even be there, right? <laughs> but yeah, even uh, I mean, even just just to back it up a little bit, like yeah, we we're doing our legend events back back then. We did have a San Diego legend chapter, so mm-hmm. like our our guys down there in San Diego, they would throw events, and I I do remember Balboa Park was one of those spots that that we did a party out out of, but it totally got rained out, man. It got it was like a monsoon, so we we didn't have anybody show up to that party, man. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I vividly remember like just uh, being able to do stuff like that. But yeah, much respect to San Diego. That's cool, man. We loved coming up to LA for that stuff, though. Like <laughs> there was never any kind of like hatred or jealousy with anything. But like I don't know how it is now, but like there was never. We always went to LA. I, I feel like we had this thing. But nah. Yeah, I nah, feel like I mean, there was more traveling back in that day. People were. I, I feel too. like yeah, I feel like people traveled, man. Um, you know, like kind of like how people go out for, for these festivals now or raids yeah. back in the '90s. Like, people would travel, and That's so true. even in the Filipino scene, like we throw a party in in L.A. We had a lot of San Diego people drive up for that thing. Yes, we know? did. I know. I've been. To, would, I've probably been in there. We even we would even have uh, people fly in from the bay or drive down from the bay, but but yeah, San Diego and L.A. was so close that yeah, people would go back and forth to to each and and still drive home the same night. Traffic right. wasn't so bad back then. It was That's true. That is true. <laughs> That's definitely what has made going to and from San Diego such a pain these days. Yep. Yeah, uh, the, I don't I don't ever remember the four hundred five being this bad now the way it is now. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the 15, I, I take the 15 down mostly down to San Diego nowadays, and that's even getting bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. I remember that yeah, used to be true. like, if you took the 15, you could fly there. You could fly, man. But this day and age, man, I mean, right around Temecula, it's always a traffic jam. Yeah. Once you get past Temecula, those, getting into those mountains, then you're you're good. Yeah. 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 Definitely. That's true. So, um, back to your timeline. What? Uh, so when? When was your first like? Oh, like opening the door into any kind of radio. So, with radio, um, okay. At this time, we're already doing all the big legend clubs. So we're we're on a roll. We're we're doing a lot, and then simultaneously, I'm in a in the Beach Junkies. And then the the crew uh, was so diverse and and uh, it was unique because everybody kind of specialized in their own thing. You guys had you had guys that battled. You had guys that were producing. You had guys that that were uh, touring DJs for groups or yeah. Everybody had their thing. Mm-hmm. And right. and then so radio radio happened. Um, 
because we were all part of like these uh, record pools. So us nice. as the junkies, we were part of this record pool called Global Rec. I mean, um, Ghetto Baby Record Pool. Hmm. And Got Ghetto it. Baby was started by Frank V, who's the older brother of the Baker Boys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got it. So Ghetto Baby, uh, when it first started, it was it was like the who's who's of DJs back back in that time. You know, you had the junkies in there, then you had like you know Kilo and all these guys that were like KGLH, and you guys had like Uncle Jam Army type guys, and then you had wow. uh, you had the Baker Boys, of course, and then anyone associated with Friday Night Flavors, and you had all those type of DJs all collective, and. Um, and then so one of the record pool meetings I went to, I met Julio G, <laughs> one of my childhood idols that I would listen to and emulate his style. And the mix masters, much respect, man. I met Julio G and I was I went up to him. I, I was nervous and I was a shy kid around that time. But I, I, I went up to him and I just said, you know, I just gave him all the props, gave him all the love, and then I just told him that, yo, man, I, I, you know, I look up to him, and, and I said, man, I'm just so honored to meet you. And I said, I'm doing these big clubs, man. One of these days, I would love for you to just come check it out. One of these days. Right. And, I mean, at this time, he was already DJing for... Um, he had graduated from K Day. He he went on the tour. Did you know he produced for Mellow Man Ace and Kid Frost and all of that. And then he he came back and then he was the DJ for in this time mid nineties. He was the the DJ for for um, Easy E. And oh, they man. brought back oh, wow. Ruthless Radio. So he was the DJ of Ruthless Radio. He was with Easy E and. Um, here I am asking a radio DJ, come out to my club. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know you don't know anything about the Asian scene or Filipino or any of that. But come come check it, come check us out. And he took me up on it, man. He really came out to one of my clubs. And he came out to he came out to the source. And he was just blown, blown away, man. Cause he never, you know, like you have these conceptions of like what a Filipino Asian party is. You know, you right. have all those stereotypes right. of what, how nerdy we are or this and that. But, <laughs> yo, he came to our club and he heard, you know, Gangstar Mass Appeal. Or you're, you, he's hearing, you know, uh, Don't Sweat the Technique. Or he's hearing, like, he's hearing the Beat Junkies cut it up and scratch. And he's seeing the crowd just go crazy to real hip hop, real DJing, and Asians, 1,500 Asians freaking just going crazy. (laughs) And so from that time on, he was like, yo, man, we got to do something. And, um, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't really hear from him much until a year later. Uh, Easy E passes away and, um, Julio G takes over Easy E's times and he basically takes over the Ruthless Radio show and he makes it um, something K-Day, the Mixmaster show or something like that. Right. And um, basically he asked me to come in and, and do a guest spot on his show. He, he opened up a slot, a one hour slot for, for guest DJs and I was like one of his first uh, DJs he asked on. Wow. And um, was that even something that you like really wanted to do? 
I mean, of course you didn't not want to do it, but like you got, you have the source going, you're doing the stuff with the beat junkies in your mind. Are you like, man, I'd really like to do radio. Man, radio was like the thing back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. If you made it on radio, like that was big time. And especially in LA radio, there was no Filipinos on radio, man. So mm-hmm. E-Man was the very first to break in on Power 106. And I mm-hmm. I was there the day he he auditioned. <laughs> I went with E-Man in his pickup truck, went for his, with him to his audition. Hmm. And um, yeah. But yeah, no, radio was a big thing. So if you made it on radio, that, that was a big deal. And so Ray, E-Man was the first one on, on Power 106. And then e, um Julio G was the first to to put me on mainstream radio on ninety two point three the beat. Dang, I love the beat. It's just it's so crazy <laughs> to me because I love the beat too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, it, no, not to cut you guys off, but like as a as a kid, okay, so I would say if I had to guess, I'm probably about five to ten years behind you guys, right? Yeah. And even though I'm five to ten years behind, like as a kid growing up, literally that was my my fun. Like when I think about my childhood, especially now that I have kids, I'm like, what was I doing as a kid? And I was literally running to go turn on my radio and listen and, and flip back and forth from Power 106 and 92.3 of the beat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, radio was such a big deal. Like I remember just for hours listening to the radio, like how people sit down and watch TV. I would just yeah. sit there and listen to the radio, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to think that it's, you know, especially today, it's not really like that. I mean, because of, you know, the internet. And, and even if you do listen to radio, you probably listen to it on whatever.com and, and go about it that way. But to hear you say that E-Man was on Power 106 and then here you are on the time slot 92.3, it's like... Yeah, it is a big deal. I mean, even for me, just hearing it, you know? It's a big deal, yeah. So, I mean, to put it in context for a younger listener right now, um, we didn't have YouTube back in the day. So <laughs> it was either TV or radio. Right. <laughs> that was your big mainstream media. And so, yeah, not everyone can make it on TV. but And not everyone can even make it on radio. You, you have yep. millions, of, mil- millions of DJs out there that want to make it on radio. And they only have a team of maybe seven to 10 DJs on, on the, the radio period. So if you're right. one of those seven, man, that's, that's a big deal. And so rate being on radio, you're equivalent to a, a, a YouTube influencer <laughs> for a younger yeah. a YouTube right influencer now. with a lot of followers, <laughs> not just of... the guy that's making the video. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the guy that you can name and everybody knows who you're talking about. Yep. Yes. So it was that type of magnitude back at that time. Yeah. And so, yeah, radio was a, a big deal. And like you said, people would religiously sit down and listen to it mm-hmm. as if they're watching TV. So if you weren't watching TV, you were listening to the radio. Nowadays, in today's times, we have too many options. You could be doing too many different things from podcast to radio <laughs> to, to just anything under the sun, man. But right. back then, it was radio or TV. Yep. Yeah. So yep. you you go on as a guest for one hour, and what happens when you're done with that hour? And then so 
I mean, Julio, Julio, um, <laughs> the funny thing was on that very first day that I went, man, I, I remember vividly Tony, Tony G, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the godfather of the West Coast here. Um, he happened to be there as well. I met Daza, who was a big model <laughs> back in that time in yeah. the 90s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, she was there at the radio show. But, but yeah, um, that experience, man, it just opened up my eyes. And, and then, yeah, I think, I think from hitting the airwaves, that kind of uh, gave me a, a, a little more clout back then. <laughs> Got it, yeah. And so, yeah, the clubs... The club started popping even more mm. and um, and then just made everything that we were doing a little bit bigger. And so I, I you know, like um, my man Mello won a battle around that time or, you know, world championship thing. And and uh, Julio G picked him up as his everyday because by that time, Julio, um, he graduated from Saturday nights to doing every day at seven o'clock. Got and it. so mm-hmm. once he got that everyday slot, Julio, um, Julio picked up Mello to be his um, everyday DJ. And then Julio brought me in to be his Friday night DJ. So nice. I would kick off the weekend with him. Ah. And so, yeah, Julio was looking out, man. He, he was always trying to just uh, show love. And then he was, all, he was always about the no color lines uh, theme that, that the beat was about. So yes. Julio wanted to give love to... Filipinos and Asians. He wanted to give loves to blacks, whites, Latinos, Indians, you name it, man. So that, you that know was what? That being the current situation, man. Hearing you just say that right now, like it's crazy because I remember as a kid, like no color lines. Yep. Hearing that on the radio, how much of a big impact that was. Yeah. You know, and it's true, like. At that time, I, he did a good job of making things diverse, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, even him speaking in Spanish, Naivento Punto Tres, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I have horrible Spanish. But he was one of the first to be able to, to speak on English-speaking stations and do it in Spanish. Right. And, and uh, yeah, it was just all about, like, yeah, no color lines, man. That was the theme, and how how relevant would that be in today's times too? But uh, yeah, man, it was all about like just giving love to all nationalities, all people, all people of color, everything. Right. Leo G was all about that. So Friday nights, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. You're mm-hmm. on the radio, um, even if it's just people listening to and from the the club, right? They're still gonna be listening in. They Should at, at, yeah. at seven, they're still in traffic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah pretty I mean, much. Damn, that's crazy. So then, did you wind up having a like more days than just a Friday? It started with Fridays, and then once I was doing the Friday slot, it wasn't long before they started giving me Saturdays. So I was doing Fridays and Saturdays, and nice. then not long after that, then I got offered. Um, I got offered like doing a morning show. I was doing um, I I was doing morning show with John London and the House Party. Damn. And um, <laughs> John London and the House Party was big. They were number one in L.A. at that time. This is before Big Boy. It was before, before yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
they were battling with the Baker boys actually in the mornings at that time. Right. And uh, yeah, but the funny thing with Power was they were more about you know dance and house music, and the beat was all about hip hop. So mm -hmm. that's where we were winning. Right. I do, and I do remember <laughs> that. Like, I'm I'm jogging my own memory here. You know what I mean? Because I mm -hmm. felt like the days that I listened, I definitely heard. You know, you know, they always say the DJ name. I don't remember if it was exactly how it was today where there's a, a DJ drop, you know, but mm -hmm. um, I do remember hearing your name a lot. And I do remember that about Power 106. And I think that was one reason why I started listening to beat a lot. Not that I didn't like, you know, of course, growing up in L.A., being Latin, I was definitely into that music. Yeah. But but in that era, just like that real hip hop was becoming it was taking over everything, you know, so. Yeah, it was. And so, yeah, that that's where we uh, we definitely, we we took over L.A. when we were hip-hop and they were more dance. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that's crazy. And, I mean, and then that, that era, man, like, it's crazy because, yeah, you had Friday Night Flavors on, on Power 106 and they were, they were your true hip-hop show. But, to combat that, you know, the beat started the wake-up show. You know, they yeah. brought the wake-up show down from the bay with Sway, King Tech, Revolution. And then, you know, Julio G was putting it down with hip-hop with West Side Radio. And then you had, you had like, um, you had Cypress Hill. They, they had their show. I can't even remember the name of their show, man. Uh, but they, you know... Um, be real, um, man. They, be real, Bobo. All those guys were always doing their their Friday night show on the beat. They were a big deal, man, here in California. I yeah. mean, obviously in general, but you think about it. Cypress Hill at that point was already a known group, right? Yeah. And then to take to take the time to do radio like that, it was almost like a way of of still keeping to the street if you will or like to the community here locally you know yeah mm -hmm. and so then for to me that was always a big deal for that reason you know what i mean exactly and yeah that was the beauty of of the beat was um all these specialty shows man you don't have specialty shows like that anymore and i that, think that's what that's what's made radio very stale in today's yes. times yes. there's no specialty shows it drives me crazy. I, I, I remember when I started when they started kind of phasing that out and feeling like, why why do we even listen to the radio? I can I can make the same playlist and then just play it over and over. Yeah. You know, and it kind of just even man, I remember the, the end of West Coast Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. You know, like when they took that off, I was just like, all right, I'm done with radio. Yeah. And even even when they took off uh, power tools with Humpty Vision and those guys and and uh, just ending, I, I think, yeah, just as we got into the 2000s, they just started chopping all these specialty shows. But I think that's what made radio very unique in the 90s is you had specialty shows. And I mean, one of the shows that I, I, I was very proud to be a part of was was uh, Divine Forces Radio with my man Fidel. Rodriguez and mm -hmm. um, we did some really cool just I mean uh, with the times that are going on right now with pr police brutality and police injustice and 
all this that was all stuff we were fighting against back then with divine forces radio doesn't it feel kind of weird to almost be going through the exact same thing it's 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 crazy uh, we just have not progressed since then and and then even with everything that's gone through with uh, George Floyd and then here we are all over all over again with Jason you know it's it's just it's just nuts yeah i just i don't know and you know sometimes when things happen in the world um and i don't mean this in a bad way when when things happen in the world i feel like california is almost a little different I mean, I know shit definitely goes on here. I'm not saying it doesn't. It's just that I feel like we were making so much progression here in California. And we went through all that stuff in the 90s. Yeah. I feel like it put us in the right path. And then to be going through this all over again, almost in the same exact way and having to address it the same way, I almost feel like, did we as as a community here in california did we also take a step back or are we kind of all sitting here going no no we've done this already we understand the problem and we already tried to fix this you know what i mean yeah it's just i don't know sometimes i sit back and, and when things happen i'm just kind of like no that's you guys like we're we're cool over here you know what i mean <laughs> we're still on the no color lines you know what i'm saying like we're still on the police brutality like we get that you know yeah but, you know, it, it's only going to get better as a whole, working together as a whole. I understand that. But just sometimes I guess that's where the frustration is, where it's kind of like, man, all these people put so much effort into bettering this and then to just be right back here. You know? Just to be right back. Yeah. I think here in California, we're a lot more culturally diverse. So we understand just uh, being around other cultures and just people of different nationalities. But in uh, some of these Midwest states that all this stuff is going down in, man. I mean, you know, it's either you're black or white. And unfortunately, that's where the, the racial tensions are are the most. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I wanted to ask you something, and I don't know if it's going to be something that you can come up with an answer right away, but I figured the best way to kind of get an idea of where you've been and what you've done would be to ask you out of everything that you've done and i'm not looking for what you would consider your most successful moment what is your most memorable moment man most memorable right like the moment <laughs> when you were like damn everything i've worked for i've been, now i'm able to do this and then it just made you feel like you know like that that was it i can't think of any one moment but as you're asking me this all i could say is that i i think a lot of my firsts almost a lot of my first moments are the ones that are like the most memorable to me right so when i was that kid in in junior high my first time playing for my school dance in front of all my 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 high school I mean, my middle school kids, you know, friends, them all looking up at me and seeing me play, that was a, that was a big deal. And that was like the most memorable moment at that time. Or my first, my first time traveling out of the city <laughs> to play a gig, <laughs> that was a big deal. My first time out of the country, that was a big deal. My first time right. in whatever country it, it was, whether it was Japan or 
say even my first time in the Philippines, that was just amazing, man. They they treated me like a rock star. Really? <laughs> and I didn't even have a hit record. <laughs> <laughs> they all knew who you were already too, huh? They did, man. And and oh, yeah. every song I played, it's like they're they're the, the roar, like, you know, you hear that jam and you're like, oh, it was like that for every song I played in my set in my first time in the Philippines. Um, but yeah, even my first time on radio. Yeah, my first time on radio, my first time playing in front of a concert. You know, just all my firsts, I think, are like just all my most memorable moments. Even like I'm thinking right now, like I played uh, the reunion show of Rage Against the Machine at Rock the Bells, 65,000 people. That was amazing. I love Rage. Wow. Damn. I didn't know that. That's cool. So who who's the of, most uh out of everybody you've ever met, who would you say is like at the top of your list of people that you've met? Uh top of my list as far as uh you know most memorable or uh, most Yeah, I guess I guess most memorable or maybe most like you know, that excitement where you're like, damn, I can't believe I just yeah, not I, I don't even like to use the term starstruck, but you know. Where you're excited to, to meet someone and you're just like, damn, I can't believe I just met this person. <laughs> um, I mean, I I felt that way back when I was first starting with uh, Julio G. One of the first artists I met just walked into the room nonchalant and did his interview. It was Ice Cube. <laughs> damn. Wow. And uh, yeah, he was just promoting his record and talking about the the new movie and all that stuff and i mean yeah man I, ice cube just had that kind of like uh effect on me but another one was like you know Shaq just just moved to la and he puts out a record with dj quick and he performs at a summer jam and i meet Shaq for the very first time <laughs> damn and um <laughs> that would have blown that, me away too that very Especially in that time, time. That very first time meeting Shaq, especially when he just came to the Lakers and didn't even win a championship yet, but he was the biggest deal. He was one of the biggest NBA players at that time. Man, um, my first time meeting him, like he's so tall that I put my arm around him. <laughs> and you know, you put your arm around them. You're usually your arm is around their sh- a person's shoulder or around their back. But he was so tall, man. When I put my arm around him, your I arm was, was around I his was, butt. I was around his butt cheek, man. I'm like, oh, <laughs> my bad, my bad. <laughs> I had to raise my hand up higher. <laughs> Take a picture with him, man. I yeah, mean that butt, butt cheek. <laughs> Being that tall, I'm sure he's gotten it plenty of times. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's funny. No, that's cool, man. Not, not that, you know, for me, it's not so much like, oh, who did you meet? Who did you meet? It's like, I know you've met some people who from that era are you know interesting people people that you'd be a fan of um yeah and it's cool to be able to meet someone i guess on that level because you just see them as a person it's not so much that's why i said not so much starstruck i mean i remember the first time i met you you know like i worked at pro sound and i was like pro Wait, sound okay, icy <laughs> ice is coming like the icy ice and i think that's one of the reasons why like for me, you were not just DJ ICI. So it was like it elevated more because it was like, oh, you're you're a cool dude. You're a regular dude. You know what I mean? I think that sometimes when people have a little bit of notoriety, um, 
they they kind of put themselves on a pedestal, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, but sometimes. And whenever there's a moment where they don't, it's always like, all right, that's a cool dude, you know. Yeah. And to to be honest, most of the B junkies that I've met are like that because I remember when they'd come in, you know, they'd be like, yo, Ice told me to come in. And then I'm just like, I can't believe this person's in front of me. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, it's, it, it was one of the perks of the jobs, like going in, it was almost like they, you know, in training, they, oh, you're going to meet a lot of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just, okay, well, whatever. I've, I've always been the type of person who I look at people just as people, but when they are someone with notoriety and they still act like just a normal person, it's always a good feeling, you know? Oh man. Well, Appreciate that, man. Thanks. <laughs> Even my wife still gets excited. Like, oh shit! It's funny because uh, John, whenever, whenever I, you know, he'd always have this spot in Long Beach, uh, Federal Bar, right? Mm-hmm. Federal Bar. So, like, you know, we have kids. We don't really go out that often. But whenever we'd have a sitter, right away, I'd be like, "What do you want to do?" And she'd be like, "Is Ice playing at Federal Bar tonight?" Like that was always her thing, and I'm like, I don't Aww. know. I can up and ask him, you know. She's like, "All right," and then it's like, even she would be like, "Oh shit, it's icy ice," you know. And I'm just like, "Okay, babe, calm down." Like, I already know him now. Like, we can't act like that anymore. <laughs> you know? And then, and then she, it's funny because she would, you know, we go out, we have kids, so I'm like, "Hey, take full advantage of tonight because tomorrow it's back to being mom, right?" And uh, she'd start getting drunk and start getting all wild. I'm like, "Hey." I need you to like be cool. You can't embarrass me right now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's a good feeling to to go out and know, like, you know, when you know the DJs, it's different. Like, you know what kind of vibe it's going to be. You know they're going to play all your favorite jams. It's going to be a good time. So that was definitely something I always look forward to. Man, thanks. Uh, rest in peace to to Federal Bar, man. They they shut that thing down because of the pandemic now. So we. We got to find a new home for Snapback. Yeah, I definitely hope uh, we can get back to to those days, man. It seems I like they're going to so. be uh, a while away, but um, definitely, uh, yeah, I hope. Um, so I do still want to get in the pandemic. Before we get in that, there's something else that you had that unfortunately closed that I kind of want to talk about. Um, can you tell us about Stacks? Oh yeah. Yeah, man. Uh <laughs> Stax is my baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah, with uh with with us being in radio, us being in in uh, you know, promoting nightclubs and you know, just w- all of us had our hands in different things and I was just um I was just looking around and I'm like, man, I I want to do something. I want to do it around the DJ community. What can I do? that can benefit the DJ community, but still um, help everybody. And back at, at that time, man, everybody needed vinyl. Everybody was still buying records to spin in their sets. Right. And also being in radio, I, I had access to record labels, record companies. I could walk into a, a record company and demand you know, 10 copies of this and they'll give it to me. <laughs> nice. So it, it was like, uh, it was a thing where I, I, I decided to open a record store. Um, and around that same time, a lot of our, our beat junkies were all working for fat beats. And uh. I originally wanted 
the whole crew to open up like a beach junkie record store, but they just uh, weren't seeing that at that time. Everyone was into their touring mode. Everyone was artist mode, and and uh, they were very loyal to to Fat Beats and didn't want to do something like that. So I went off and uh, opened the record store on my own and uh, came up with Stacks by with the help of uh, Mixwell. Got so my, my folks at Mixwell helped me come up with the name they helped me come up with the logo and then they pretty much did all the flyers and all that other stuff but yeah stacks was a record store a community a dj community store that i i would often term it and um we just you know we didn't just sell records we were there for the dj community we were there right. to to serve and to to help educate and to to um make djs better pretty much yeah and it was in Cerritos, right? Yeah, the first flagship store was Cerritos, um, originally right off of the 605 freeway. And then after a year of being there, I noticed how, how bad that location was. And everyone was saying, you own a business, man. It's all about location. So then I got the best location right across the street from the Cerritos Mall. And that was it. Game over. Yeah, it, definitely. Uh, it it. it it jumped uh, fivefold as far as business and and sales and all that other stuff. But being, yeah, being from Carson, what made you have? Uh, what made you put in Cerritos? Mm-hmm. Um, I think number one, I, I knew of the 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 hub of Cerritos, just the the rich DJ culture that was around there because of just just because of like the junkies and and. And knowing the area really well, and you Got know, it. Cerritos was very, you know, right next to Long Beach. Yeah. So very close to Carson, but kind I kind of centralized. Like, yeah, I felt like it was a central location where it sat, and you know, like five different freeways ran through there. Yeah. And um, and it was sat right in the middle of LA and OC. So I, I thought that was like the perfect spot outside of LA to put a store and. It worked well, man. Worked well. Yeah, for it definitely me. sounds like you know. That I figured that was why, but I just you know wanted to to ask because it was just you know interesting. In that time, yeah, a lot of people traveled to Cerritos <laughs> to shop in general. So, yeah. So I mean, you know, Whittier was big, uh, Pico Rivera, all all of these areas just all, all kind of bordered that area, and then you had the OC, LA. Uh, it was just central. It was good. Yeah. And then you guys, so you sold records there. You had a record pool, right? Yeah, we sold records there. And then, yeah, we um, we did cool things like, you know, in stores differently. You know, like an in-store, an artist would just come in and sign autographs or come in, take pictures, and that's it. We took it another level over, and we just made it kind of like an event. So right. every in-store that you've been to some of them, we, we tried to... Just make it a big event. We would interview the artists. We'd have them perform. And then they would do the autograph signing, picture taking, all of that good stuff. As long yeah. as the people bought their, their record or CD. And right. so, yeah, it was, it was that type of thing. We would also do like uh, in-store educational clinics, you know, DJ clinics, um, things to, to help DJs better their game. But yeah, some of the businesses that we did start out of that record store were were um, a record pool, which uh, eventually became Exclusive Grooves. Um, but then yeah, we were also doing things like eBay and uh, you know just all of this stuff that was just brand new at the time 
that wasn't really existent, you know? You're still doing some form of DJ education, right? Um, yes and no. Um, the crew, us as the junkies, yes, we have, we have the B Junkie Institute of Sound, and that's over yeah. in Glendale. Um, I'm not so much part of the education of that. Just I, I live so far from from there. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still in a lot of education period, and then I do go speak at schools, and I do go speak at colleges, and I'm part of conferences and different things like that. Yeah, um, that's kind of something I wanted to talk to you about too. And another thing that we're kind of leaving out is throughout. So over these years, you've, you know, done all these things and you open up this business, but you also along the line created a family, right? Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, John and I being family men, we, we talk about that often. And I've, I've seen you, you know, through Instagram and then being at federal bar in the evening, mm -hmm. I've seen you juggle some stuff and it's, it's, pretty crazy to me how you've been able to be such a family man and be a dj and do all these things in one day <laughs> <laughs> it's all about balance brother it's all about balance but yeah um i think you know my wife is my biggest supporter and and she's got my back but yeah i, I wouldn't be able to do all the things that i do and still be me if it wasn't for her support so right. yeah big ups to to the wifey yeah, and I'm man. sure you guys can attest to that being married. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Even now during the pandemic, I <clears throat> that uh, she definitely gives me my time more than she gets. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's 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 one of the most important things, especially for you guys that are single out there, man. Make sure you find a good woman that that'll have your back, man. Not definitely. not someone that's gonna fight you on everything. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but, Yes, yeah, as long as you have someone like that on your corner, man, sky's the limit. You you can still make a lot of things happen. I remember uh, John uh, pulling up to Federal Bar, and I'm like, okay, so I said he was going to be here, and 30 minutes ago, he just posted being somewhere else, like at a family party or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't think he's going to be here, you know? And then sure enough, like by the time I got inside and got settled, you know, got your first drink, you settled in, all of a sudden he's like on the tables. I'm like, what? Is this dude flying over here with a cape? Like what's going on, you know? So it's just, it's cool because, you know, <laughs> we, we talk a lot about balance, you know, yeah. balance and, and what we do and, and then also being, you know, with our families. So it's definitely cool. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the key thing with balance is, you know, it, it is all about time management <laughs> and you got to give your time, man. You got to, you can't just uh, give all your time to DJing and then not give it to your family. You got to be able to, to do both. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and the crazy thing is as the kids get older, man, like, uh, you got, you got to balance their time schedules with yours too, because then you're taking them to practices. You're taking them out for their games. You're, you're, uh, you got to be there to spectate and be present. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's, it's, it's just crazy time management. But as long as you uh, divide your time and, and try and be there for everything, then, you know, you're good. 
Nice. But not everybody's built for that too. No, it's definitely <laughs> Either a one lot or the of work. Other. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But yeah, so, I mean those those Friday nights, man. I, I I would juggle practices, games, or even a family event, and then still be able to rush back over to to Federal Bar and and uh, close out the night, man. That's cool. Um, so while we're on family, um, do you foresee either of your children, any of your children? doing any dj stuff um well with my oldest one he's 14 i don't see it in him he's more <laughs> really into, that's he's why more i thought golf yeah. he's more into golf and, and piano right now but uh, you never know man he's only 14 i i got started around 14 so you never know but he's pretty heavy into golf to be picking up other hobbies man i think so i, I think we're we're uh pushing well, not pushing, but we're uh, supporting him supporting. heavily on that on that uh, on that route and that that journey. And I'm personally taking him out for practices and playing games with him, all, all of that stuff, just so he can uh, further his uh, his his uh, hobby there. <laughs> yeah, as a as a father, it's been pretty cool to watch, you know, to see how you you take the the hobby and and also make it become family time as well. It's definitely cool, man. Yep. Yeah, the way I, I the way I view that is is that is my time with them, right? Because once he's off to college, uh, I'm not gonna have that time with them. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I'm, I'm cherishing it. Already thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the pandemic, man. Yes. Uh, for those listening at home, you're you're very much still your your day to day is a, being a DJ, right? Yes, it is. Okay, so with the pandemic happening, what, uh, how have you been able to get through that? Well, with the pandemic, I think I was in the same exact boat with every other DJ out there, especially the ones that rely and, and uh, this is what they do. Um, we were in a rut, man. We were, we were stuck, a little depressed, uh, just kind of like, fearing you know how are we going to make our next paycheck mm -hmm. and um yeah I, I think once you once you figure things out or you know i i was able to to apply for some unemployment and that that held me out for for the past how many months and now they just cut that so got to figure that you know figure something else out but I think in those beginning months, uh, we were just trying to figure out what is it that we're going to do. But yeah. I think once we came to that realization, we're all in the same boat. We're all hurting. Uh, we all can't do anything. And in those first few months, we didn't realize it's going to be this long. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We didn't realize it's going to be this long. But I think once we started focusing in and, and saying, okay, well, let's be there for the people. Let's let's uh, let's use our craft to to help and heal others and help make other people's days brighter. That's uh, that was more of the focus rather than the money or not yeah. being able to make a paycheck. Yeah. That's more what I'm getting at. Cause I mean, obviously as a DJ, I mean, yeah, I understand it's your livelihood for sure, but there's still the part of you that needs to do that because it's what you love. Right. Exactly. And so I kind of mentioned that in the beginning is I think this pandemic just put everybody on a reset, kind of put everybody on a ground zero. 
And then the ones that truly love DJing, they're still going full out and doing it because they love it. And then the ones that were in it for the money, you don't see them anywhere. You don't see them active or nothing. Right. And so, yeah, I think uh, with us in that giving, us in that, like, just let's be there for people, us in that mode of, like, let's help people through this pandemic rather than just uh, be depressed and, and mope and any of that yeah. other stuff. Let's, 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 let's do something positive with our craft. And that's what we did. So we started doing all these live streams. We started doing what we could do to help others. And man, I can't tell you how much, how much love and support and, and then even thank yous from people that we've never known in our lives, but they, they tune in for these live streams or they check out our mixtapes or they, they're, they're, they're there. Um, they're, they're saying how music just was just very therapeutic for them through these hard times. Absolutely, man. I mean, when the pandemic first started, obviously all the uncertainty, right? I know there's people right now that are probably going around living life like they normally did before. They just have a mask on while they do it. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm spending a lot more time at home than I ever have in my life. Um, but in the beginning, you know, when it was like, we're not even going to work. Yeah, we, full we lockdown. Yeah, full lockdown. We don't know what's going to happen. The you know kids aren't even communicating with their teachers yet. One of the first things I think was the live streams, and it, it started as simple as just Instagram, right? Like just yeah, we're gonna do Instagram lunch hour or whatever. And I remember how much that helped. You know, even for my wife who is still working from home, is still at home every day with our kids. Like, you know, she would be like, that it was like the thing to look forward to. You know, right. And it definitely made a, a huge difference. And it was cool to see all the DJs, um, how much fun they were having, too. You know, yeah, I think um, this uh, pandemic also just kind of with that reset I was talking about, I think it, it, it had us dig back down into what we really loved about DJing and, and the fun. So we tapped back into that. And yeah. then we, we tap back into the memories. So even a lot of my posts or, you know, I'm, I'm reminiscing on things that I've lived over my career and people right. are on that journey with me or peop, it makes people remember some of those times or some of those clubs or some of these yeah. events or 92.3 The Beat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably have some of the people that were going to that Samoan spot in Carson <laughs> listening, going, damn. This feels like back then. I have some people on my live streams, even to even just yesterday, last night. They they were they were putting in there brick house, Samarica. Um, <laughs> they're saying, yeah, I remember you from way back then. And I'm like, oh shit, you're old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but cool, I love man. it. I love it because a lot more people that are in my age group, they're they're not tuned into the radio or, or I mean, not radio, but the, they're not tuned into these live streams like they right. were tuned into radio back then. But yeah. for the ones that do, I, I'm loving it. I, I love seeing that. I live yeah. on Twitch, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, this guy's been talking about Twitch since we started this podcast, man. So now to see how many people are on Twitch, it's, it's interesting. But Crazy. It's, I, and I don't even think it's hit critical mass yet. Nah. Not for DJs. No, and it's going to get there, I think. 
I think as uh, I think you guys are pioneering it now. It's before when we were. I've been on Twitch for years, and we were doing it from a gaming standpoint. Yeah. And so, like you know, my kids' game. I set up a little like studio in my house for them to stream mm-hmm. with, with a green screen, with lighting. I'm using the same system now for, to record it. Mm-hmm. But as as the DJ started to come up, now Twitch became my radio station. So I always looked forward yeah. to when, you know, like Tuesday night, so-and-so was performing. Sunday at one was another DJ and then another mm-hmm. DJ at, on Saturday. So, you know, like my, my list of who I was following and subscribing to mm-hmm. was slowly changing into a, a music. <laughs> DJ, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like now what's on top of my list. I know. I think on top right now is about six DJs and it's, it's good to see because when I see you guys DJing on Twitch, I see the smiles. I see the glow. Like you mm-hmm. don't see that as much. Even when we saw you guys at the clubs, it was still kind of dark, but we can feel that energy. Yeah. But on Twitch, you guys were showing the energy that like we were severely missing, you know, being in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Twitch brought back that that joy. Now, let me let me uh, preface it for like the listener. So yeah, we talked about we started on IG, but then IG the the stupid music companies oh, yeah. uh, have strict rules on IG, and you you know yes you can use music clips on IG, but you can only use thirty minute thirty second uh, clips, and oh, so wow. anything past thirty seconds, the music companies are are coming down on it. So. Twitch wasn't, I mean, um, Instagram was not made for live streaming DJ sets. That only right. happened because of the pandemic. Right. So live streaming on Instagram, live streaming on Facebook, live streaming on YouTube, same rules apply to all of those. Right. So they were cutting off our, our DJ streams right in the middle of it. Or, um, or yeah, it, you want to go back and you want to re, you know, you want to rewatch your, what you just did. They would mute the whole thing. Yep. because of the the music licensing yep. laws that they had in in place for those platforms. So when uh, everybody started looking for other options, yeah, like uh, Twitch became that very attractive option because they were like, wait a minute, gamers play a lot of popular music within their games and whenever they're 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 um, they're gaming. So like uh, they're getting away with that type of music. What if we tried the live streams here? And sure enough. It it worked. We were able to do these things. Mm-hmm. Now I, I'm I'm sure the record companies are fighting hard in this, you know, as we speak to maybe curb that or fight it or whatever they're gonna do. But right now, as we're doing this podcast, Twitch is the platform right now for DJs live streaming. I I, I tell everybody that don't know anything about Twitch, I say Twitch is basically your your TV station for DJs. <laughs> you can watch your DJs. You can watch all your favorite DJs play live sets on Twitch. Mm-hmm. You would think that, I guess it's naive for me to think this, but you would think that with all this going on that the the um, you know the music companies would just be like, you know what, we got a pandemic going on, people are stuck at home, just let them listen to music. You would think. <laughs> um, but the thing, the no, thing they're, that... they, they're out for their money, though. They don't, yeah. care, they don't care about the people. Yeah. They, they want their money. The thing I really like about Twitch uh, is, like, say, for example, like yourself, when you do a set, right? Mm-hmm. It almost makes me feel like you took us back to that time where you only owned the one turntable and the mixer was your friends and the other turntable was your friends. And it's exactly. kind of that vibe, right? Like, it's like 
whatever DJ has created to be their space, it's like this is now our space and this is where we're gonna rock it. You know what I mean? Right. And it's it's great, man. I think it's it's cool to watch, it's cool to listen to, it's cool to be a part of, you know, you you comment, you can like you said, you say you can shout out all those um memories or times that you remember and it's yeah. you know it's interaction but it's interesting to see uh where we're at uh i'm looking forward to see what it'll become still yeah i i mean i i think um i mean well okay i did have lunch with the 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 head person of twitch yesterday oh, <laughs> me yeah. remark me remark and uh some of the snapback fam oh really uh, eric deluxe um so yeah we had lunch yesterday and you know he's here in town um and uh yeah he was in here for meetings and we were with him and he was just kind of explaining how yeah twitch started as a gamers platform but now it is a creative platform yes it's a creator's yes. platform so it's yes. not even just djs you got artists. cooks on there. You got artists, painters. You got sports people in there, and then wow. I mean everything all the way up to NASA flights and moon landings and whatever. You know they got crazy stuff on Twitch now. It's 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 an open platform. Period. Wow. But he's saying, yeah, the music division of Twitch is like just growing exponentially in the past how many months? And he said it's only going to get bigger. Nice. Yeah, I agree. Well, hopefully you're at the forefront of that, man, and you know can become something. Well, I mean, we're just we're just all having fun with it right now, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, um, we're we're really enjoying Twitch. I think Twitch just brought back the whole fun of DJing, and then yeah, we're not getting cut off midstream. You could play a whole song all the way to the very end if you wanted to. <laughs> nice. You could play. You could play a fifteen-minute version of Rapper's Delight and not get cut off. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Yeah, I, yeah, but I, it's it's on. If there's not a DJ on for me, like during the day, like you know, like because I I get up early to get you know the kids ready for their stuff to get their day going. I'll usually play like the different sets. I think I played a set that you had maybe five six days ago. Played that today. And then, like, I'll go through and play, like, So Super Sam's stuff later. I'll just go through different, like, DJs. And then I'll try to go at the bottom where, you know, you have, like, recommendations of other DJs. Uh-huh. And then go down a black hole yeah. of other DJs, you know. And it's it's good to see. And I, I tell people all the time, like, like you said, you know, yes, we started off Twitch as a gaming platform. And a lot of the people that I still work with and talk to. You know, that's not in the car world. I help them set up their Twitch streams, help them set up all their like backgrounds, their pages and all that fun stuff. But I keep telling people that are not in that uh, world, like you need to see it just for the fact that there's DJs on there now doing their live streams. They're still using their turntables. They're still using their mixers. Um, and you can even have DJs that are, you know, house DJs that will play it with, you know, straight up drum machines or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. It's, you know, like I said, he's right. It's growing. And I think it's going to be one of the things that's going to keep up uh, with the gaming section of uh, Twitch. Yeah, I mean, he was saying how, yeah, some of these gamers, like it took years and years and years. 
kind of like what we were talking about earlier about like just the buildup of DJing. So gamers took years and years and years to get to this point to where they're getting this, you know, such and such many viewers mm -hmm. or the community is built to this point. But yeah, we've built it within months. So he's saying, yeah, it's just uh, it's just a whole different thing with the music community. So um, but I think um, the other thing he was just saying was was just uh, the negative the negativity of the gaming side versus the the music side. He's just like, I really hope that doesn't happen to the music side where gamers talk smack to each other. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the music side, it's all love. <laughs> well, the gamers all hate each other. Trust me, I, I see a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's what he's hoping doesn't happen to the music side. Definitely. Um, there's something else I kind of forgot to ask you about that I wanted to see uh, what that was, mm -hmm. uh, or your involvement in it, I guess. Do you have something to do with the, uh, it's like a Filipino heritage night? At, is it at the, the Clippers? Is it oh. Clippers? Okay, so yes, I, I was, I was um, part of uh, the Filipino heritage night um, as a DJ, and I, I DJed for, for um, Apple D App with the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, okay. Uh, and yeah, that was a halftime show. We played, we performed. Uh, and then even on the the breaks, you know, like those uh, commercial breaks or those uh, timeout breaks, we were going out there, you know, throwing out the T-shirts or you know throwing stuff out to the crowd. So yeah, it it, it was a a fun thing. My homegirl Roslyn is the one that puts those together for the Clippers, and uh, she she her whole intent of that is to just bring light to the filipino culture but she also does that as well for chinese culture for hawaiian culture nights they have culture nights for pretty much every culture out there yeah and, that's cool. uh, she she helps in organizing a lot of those but and yeah. it's like an annual thing right like it is an annual thing yeah nice so if the nba was still going on right now and they still had regular games yeah she she was a big part of putting together um, culture nights at a lot of the different games. I saw that, man, and I was like, you know, I've always told people I'm, I'm like a culture junkie, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so to have, a, to have those nights is, is a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't think they have any, I guess they probably have like a lat, Latino night or something. Like we all get yeah, thrown in the they, they definitely They definitely have a Latino <laughs> culture night. Uh, just like they have the Filipino culture night, and like I said, they did Chinese culture night, Indian culture night, all all of that. So that's cool. yeah, that's a that's a cool thing of what they're doing um, at the Clippers. Gotcha. Yeah, I saw so, that. Sorry, I saw that because uh, I think Pilo was there, and he was like pushing that really hard that he was down there. Yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. So I was on that. Pilo's uh, Pilo's a big thing in the in the Bay Area. In the Bay Area. Yeah, Pilo. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm a little too old, or too old, but I, you know, I'll support the guy. Yeah, yeah. He's cool. I mean, he, yeah. he's he's one of our. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. That's uh, <laughs> that's a recording artist and doing it. Yeah, it is. So yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, I think that you know, I figured this would be a good closer. Is um, you're working on a book, right? Yes, uh, I've had a, it's been a work in progress, um, been at it for a few years here, uh, but it, yeah, it's a book 
kind of kind of on my whole story and covered a lot of it right here in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, For those of you listening, when this is done, don't think that you still don't have to read the book. I'm sure there's need more gems. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, the book, the book is uh, on my story and my journey as a DJ. Um, especially specifically being a Filipino American DJ and the struggles and and just the challenges and then how I got around them. And nice. my whole thing about it is that I, I want to help inspire and empower others to to uh, know that they can do it too. You know, right. I come from humble beginnings, immigrant parents. Um, we've had our share of discrimination. We've had our share of, um, you know, just all those different challenges, but, you know, we've been able to work through it and been able to enjoy, you know, like the fruits of this labor and, and enjoy successes that, uh, that, um, you would never think would come from an immigrant family. So it's, right. it's been a fun journey. And I, yeah, I just want to be able to also instill and, and help educate on some of the business principles and different, different things, you know, pivoting and, and uh, you know, just different things that have, um, have worked for me on my journey and hopefully can help out others as well. That's great, man. That's what we're about, right? I mean, oh, man, I can't wait. Help, help where you can, you know, definitely. Um, I saw something uh, the other day that kind of stuck out to me, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of, you can't consider yourself an OG unless you're helping pave the way for those that come after you. Mm. Love that. That's a and, dope quote. And when I saw that, I was like, damn, that is true. You know, um, you definitely have to pave, pave something, you know, make it easier for the next person and then watch them grow past where you were at and and there's nothing wrong with that i think sometimes people are like oh i don't want to be surpassed but no that's kind of the point right yeah um <laughs> that's that's the whole point man uh, ain't no point in um learning all of this stuff and then just hoarding it to yourself you got to share it with others you got to pass on that knowledge you got to help the next person come up too Absolutely. And, you know, like like Julio G did for me and the Bee Junkies and and open up doors for us in radio and to be able to to start our career and then and then expand on that career. Uh, that's all attributed to just people that helped along the way. And yeah, you got to be able to do the same for others. Yeah, man. Absolutely. That's what we're about. Yeah. So the, your your podcast, you guys are opening it up where people are are able to hear it straight from these people's mouths and, and uh, hear it directly from them. And hopefully they could take these gems and, and uh, apply it in their lives. So you guys are also purveyors of that uh, information as well. Thanks, man. That's, that's definitely, uh, I would say, our goal. You know, when I talked to John and I asked him if he'd be willing to do this with me, um, John kind of was one of those people that did that for me. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted him to be able to help me do that for other people. So, um, yeah, it's it's been good so far. And the feedback has been everything I hoped for as yeah. far as, you know, people feeling like they're definitely getting something out of it. So, yeah, I mean, the one, one thing um, one thing I'll say is, is that, yeah, like 
as far as people out there, like, man, get educated, get get more knowledge. And one of the the best sources of knowledge is is podcasts. In this day and age, you know, back then you had to read books, you had to go to libraries, you look up articles and things like that. Mm-hmm. But now you have you have everything at your fingertips with uh, with Google, and yeah. then these podcasts, man. I learned so much from listening to podcasts, <laughs> and and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be part of your podcast. Thanks, yeah, man. Everybody no, we're out to there. Have you here I mean, honestly, it might seem weird, but um, I don't know. Like, I've I've had this barrier that I'm trying to break down of where I'm almost like shy to ask for people to be on the podcast. And I remember not only being shy to ask you, but also wanting to wait for the right time because I felt like man, this is Icy Ice going to be on my podcast. Like, I want to make sure <laughs> everyone's listening because I know there's going to be some gems in here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and and just ask you and, and for you to say, yeah, I'm, I'm down. I was just like, cool, man. So I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm glad that you see the benefit of the podcast in general. Um, and thanks for being here, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, your thoughts on... Um it being the right time or anything like that, you know, don't worry about it, man, because even, uh, even though you're still building your, your, your listenership and your, your following and all of that stuff, man, you know, years down the line, you never know, man, something's going to happen and it's just going to really blow up your, your podcast. And then people are going to be searching all these older episodes and they'll, they'll stumble upon it anyway. So yeah, that is true. That is true. true. It's not like they can't go back to the very first episode. Yeah, that is true. Yep. Or shoot, I'll put out this book and become a best-selling author, and they're going to (laughs) find this podcast eventually. So there it is, man. We're going to have to do a follow-up episode when that book comes out. We will need to be there, especially for your book. Definitely appreciate it. But yeah, thank you. Thank you, man. But yeah, thanks, John. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you guys having me on on your show. Appreciate it.